Section 13 from Richard of Jamestown. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Richard of Jamestown, A Story of the Virginia Colony by James Otis. Section 13. The Story of Roanoke. Twenty-one years before we sailed from London, Sir Walter Raleigh sent out a fleet of seven ships, carrying one hundred and seven persons, to Virginia, and Master Ralph Lane was named as the governor. They landed on Roanoke Island, but because the Indians threatened them, and because just at that time, when they were most frightened, Sir Francis Drake came by with his fleet, they all went home, not daring to stay any longer. Two years after that, which is to say nineteen years before we of Jamestown came here, Sir Walter Raleigh sent over one hundred and sixteen people, among whom were men, women, and children, and they also began to build a town on Roanoke Island. John White was their governor, and very shortly after they came to Roanoke, his daughter, Mistress Ananias Stair, had a little baby girl, the first white child to be born in the New World, so they named her Virginia. Now these people, like ourselves, were soon sorely in need of food, and they coaxed Governor John White to go back to England to get what would be needed until they could gather a harvest. At the time he arrived at London, England was at war with the Spanish people, and it was two years before he found a chance to get back. When he finally arrived at Roanoke Island, there were no signs of any of his people to be found, except that on the tree was cut the word Croatan which is the name of an Indian village on the island nearby. That was the last ever heard of all those hundred and sixteen people. Five different times Sir Walter Raleigh sent out men for the missing ones, but no traces could be found, not even at Croatan, and no one knows whether they were killed by the Indians or wandered off into the wilderness where they were lost forever. You can see by the story that the London Company had set for Captain Newport a very great task when they commanded him to do what so many people had failed in before him. And now out of that story of the lost colony, as Master Hunt told Nathaniel and me, grows another which also concerns us in this new land of Virginia. You will remember I have said that Master Ralph Lane was the governor of the first company of people who went to Roanoke Island and afterward, getting discouraged, returned to England. Now this Master Lane, and the other men who were with him, learned from the Indians to smoke the weed called tobacco, and carried quite a large amount of it home with them. Not only Sir Walter Raleigh, who knew Master Lane very well, but many other people in England also learned to smoke, and therefore it was that when we of Jamestown began to raise tobacco, it found a more ready sale in London than any other thing we could send over. Once this was known, our people gave the greater portion of their time to cultivating the Indian weed. THE CROWNING OF POWHATAN Very nearly the first thing which my master did after having been made President of the Council was to obey the orders of the London Company, by going with Captain Newport to Powhatan's village in order to crown him like a king. This was not at all to the pleasure of the savage, who failed of understanding what my master and Captain Newport meant, when they wanted him to kneel down so they might put the crown upon his head. 
if all the stories which I have heard regarding the matter are true, they must have had quite a scrimmage before succeeding in getting him into what they believed was a proper position to receive the gifts of the London Company. Our people, so Master Hunt told me, were obliged to take him by the shoulders and force him to the knees, after which they clapped the crown on his head, and threw the red robe around his shoulders in a mighty hurry, lest he show fight and overcome them. It was some time before Captain Smith could make him understand that it was a great honor which was being done to him. But when he did get it through his head, he took off his old moccasins and brought from the hut his raccoon-skin coat, with orders that my master and Captain Newport send them all to King James in London, as a present from the great Powhatan of Virginia. After this had been done, Captain Newport sailed up the James River in search of the passage to the South Sea, and my master set about putting Jamestown into proper order. PREPARING FOR THE FUTURE Once more Captain Smith made the rule that those who would not work should not eat, and this time, with all the council at his back, together with such men as Captain Newport had just brought with him, you can well fancy his orders were obeyed. In addition to the stocks which had been built, he had a pillory set up, and those gentlemen who were not inclined to labor with their hands as well as they might were forced to stand in it to their discomfort. The next thing which he did was to have a large deep well dug so that we might have sweet water from it for drinking purposes, rather than be forced to use that from the river, for it was to his mind that through this muddy water did the sickness come to us. When the winter was well begun, and Captain Newport ceased to search for the South Sea Passage, because of having come to the falls of the James River, Captain Smith forced our people to build twenty stout houses, such as would serve to withstand an attack from the savages, and again was the palisade stretched from one to the other, until the village stood in the form of a square. After the cold season had passed, some of the people were set about shingling the church, and others were ordered to make clapboards that we might have a cargo when Captain Newport returned. It was the duty of some few to keep the streets and lanes of the village clear from filth, lest we invite the sickness again, and the remainder of the company were employed in planting Indian corn, forty acres of which were seeded down. STEALING THE COMPANY'S GOODS If I have made it clear that during all this time we lived in the most friendly manner with the savages, then I have blundered in the setting down of that which happened. Although it shames one to write such things concerning those who called themselves Englishmen, yet it must be said that the savages were no longer in any degree friendly, and all because of what our people had done. From the time when Captain Smith had declared that he who would not work should not eat, some of our fine gentlemen were willing to believe that labor was the greatest crime which could be committed, began stealing from the common store iron and copper goods of every kind, which might be come at, in order to trade with the savages for food they themselves were too lazy to get otherwise. They even went so far, some of those who thought it more the part of a man to wear silks than build himself a house, as to steal matchlocks, pistols, and weapons of any kind, standing ready to teach the savages how to use these things, if thereby they were given so much additional in the way of food. As our numbers increased, by reason of the companies which were brought over by Captain Newport and Captain Nelson, 
So did the thievery become the more serious, until on one day I heard Master Hunt tell my master that of forty axes which had been brought ashore from the Phoenix and left outside the storehouse during the night, but eight were remaining when morning came. WHAT THE THIEVING LED TO Now there was more of mischief to this than the crime of stealing, or of indolence. The savages came to understand they could drive hard bargains, and so increased the price of their corn that Captain Smith set it down in his report to the London Company, that the same amount of copper or of beads which had, one year before, paid for five bushels of wheat, would, within a week after Captain Newport came in search of the lost colony, pay for no more than one peck. Nor was this the entire sum of the wrong done by our gentlemen, who stole, rather than worked, with their hands. The savages, grown bold now that they had firearms and knew how to use them, no longer had the same fear of white people as when Captain Smith, single-handed, was able to hold two hundred in check, and strove to kill us of Jamestown whenever they found opportunity. On four different times did they plot to murder my master, believing that when he had been done to death, it would be more easy for them to kill off all in our town. But on each occasion, so keen was his watchfulness, he outwitted them all. The putting of a crown on Powhatan's head, and bowing before him as if he had been a real king, also did much mischief. It caused that brown savage to believe we feared him, which was much the same as inviting him to be less of a friend, until on a certain day he boldly declared that one basket of his corn was worth more than all our copper and beads, because he could eat his corn, while our trinkets gave a hungry man no satisfaction. And thus, by the wicked and unwise acts of our own people, did we prepare the way for another time of famine and sickness. FEAR OF FAMINE IN A LAND OF PLENTY However, I must set this much down as counting in our favor. When we landed in this country, we had three pigs, and a cock, and six hens, all of which we turned loose in the wilderness to shift for themselves, giving them shelter to such as came back to us when winter was near at hand. Within two years we had of pigs more than sixty, in addition to many which were yet running wild in the forest. Of hens and cocks we had upward of five hundred, the greater number being kept in pens to the end that we might profit by their eggs. I have heard Master Hunt declare more than once, that had we followed Captain Smith's advice, giving all our labor to the raising of crops, our storehouse would have been too small for the food on hand, and we might have held ourselves free from the whims of the savages, having corn to sell, rather than spending near to half our time trying to buy it. As Master Hunt said again and again, when talking over the situation with Captain Smith, it seemed strange even to us who were there, that we could be looking forward to a famine, when in the sea and on the land was food in abundance to feed half the people in all this wide world. To show how readily one might get himself a dinner, if so be his taste were not too nice, I have seen Captain Smith, when told what he had in the larder for the next meal, go to the river with only his naked sword, and there spear fish enough with the weapon to provide us with as much as could be eaten in a full day. But yet some of our gentlemen claimed that it was not good for their blood to eat this food of the sea. Others declared that oysters, when partaken of regularly, were as poisonous as the sweet potatoes which we bought of the Indians. Thus it was that day by day, 
did we who were in the land of plenty overrun with that which would serve as food fear that another time of famine was nigh the unhealthful location i have often spoke of the unwillingness of some of our people to labor but captain smith who is not only eager to find excuses for those who are indolent had said that there was much reason why many of our men hugged their cabins counting it a most arduous task to go even so far as the river as were the oyster beds he believes and master hunt is of the same opinion that this town of ours has been built on that portion of the shore where the people are most liable to sickness the land is low-lying almost on a level with the river the country round about is made up of swamps and bogs and the air which comes to us at night is filled with a fever which causes those upon whom it fastens first to shake as if they were beset with bitterest cold and then again to burn as if likely to be reduced to ashes some call it the ague and others the shakes but whatsoever it may be there is nothing more distressing or better calculated to hinder a man from taking so much of exercise as is necessary for his well-being gathering oysters that Nathaniel and I may gather oysters without too great labor of walking and carrying heavy burdens, Captain Smith has brought from the savages a small boat made of the bark of birch trees, stretched over a framework of splints and sewn together with the entrails of deer. On the seams, and wherever the water might find entrance, it is well gummed with pitch taken from the pine tree, and with all the lightest craft that can be well made. Either Nathaniel or I can take this vessel, which the savages call a canoe, on our shoulders, carrying it without difficulty, and when the two of us are inside resting upon our knees, for we may not sit in it as a ship's boat, we can send it along with paddles at a rate so rapid as to cause one to think it moved by magic. With this canoe Nathaniel and I may go to the oyster-beds, and in half an hour put on board as large a cargo of shellfish as she will carry, in addition to our own weight, coming back in a short time with as much food as would serve a dozen men for two days. If these oysters could be kept fresh for any length of time, then would we have a most valuable store near at hand. But, like other fish, a few hours in the sun serves to spoil them. Preparing Sturgeon for Food of the fish called the sturgeon, we have more than can be consumed by all our company, but one cannot endure the flavor day after day, and therefore it is that we use it for food only when we cannot get any other. Master Hunt has shown Nathaniel and me how we may prepare it in such a manner as to change the flavor. It must first be dried in the sun until so hard that it can be pounded into the fineness of meal. This is then mixed with caviar, by which I mean the eggs, or roe, of the sturgeon, with sorrel leaves, and with other wholesome herbs. The whole is made into small balls or cakes, which are fried over the fire with a plentiful amount of fat. Such a dish serves us for either bread or meat, or for both on a pinch, therefore if we lads are careful not to waste our time, Captain Smith may never come without finding in the larder something that can be eaten. End of section 13